Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have a highly special edition for you. Wanted to look back the absolutely amazing LMP1 wars that included Peugeot in their just spellbinding 908 HDI FAP, this twin turbo V12 powered diesel monstrosity that was without a doubt the car that contained the highest performance capabilities during that era where they went head to head with Audi at Le Mans and on an international stage, what we would say is the precursor to today's FIA World Endurance Championship. So I figured who better to bring us inside this amazing, amazing effort, French national effort, than to go to our pal Sebastian Bourdais, son of Le Mans, Pedro Lamy, Portugal's Pedro Lamy, the third and final member, England's Anthony Davidson, coming into the Peugeot effort after his Formula One career wound down. And I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> although the achievement by this team was simply incredible and the vehicle itself should be feared, prayed to, bowed to, you name it. Oh, there's also some non-excellence, some hijinks. Over the 45 minutes or so that we had together at Sebring, we hear about numerous broken bones, tendons snapped, cars barrel rolling and flipping, leaving the track. And we're also regaled with the truly, truly fearsome performance capabilities of the original 908. We also get to hear some fascinating technical details, revelations about things both impressive and how the heck did they finish the race. All manner of fun stuff being taken inside this former program, also knowing that Peugeot's coming back here in a year or two with a brand new Le Mans hypercar effort. Fun to know where they were before we get to wherever they're going next. We also have a part two that I'll bring out here at some point in time with Bourdais and his countryman and good pal Simon Pagano. Had another 45 minutes, maybe an hour there. A lot more laughs and a lot more, oh my goodness, type revelations about what took place inside the Peugeot Sport 908 LMP1 effort. Let's say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and get going with a good pal Sebastian Bourdais, Pedro Lamy, and Anthony Davidson from Sebring in March of 2019. So Pagano is not going to be here till 7 because he is a very special, special boy. It's always complicated with him. Well, we will start with the uncomplicated trio here. Who wants to just share some at least initial reflections on this program that, I mean, we will be looking back at this as one of the all-time great programs in sports car racing, yeah? Yeah, I'd start with Pedro, because Pedro was uh, at the very beginning of the program. I kind of joined in a few months after, but Pedro, you, you've seen it all. You've heard it all, so... Yeah, it's true. Was I? I start since the um, the first day uh, with um, Minasia, Nicola Minasia. We just uh, did the the first laps with the car. Uh, Nico started, and then I went to the car and I I drove. Um, so it was the first day, and then Stefan, uh, Saraza as well. Paul Ricard was the first baby. It was was. Amazing the power. That's what I was going to say. What were your first? I mean, you've driven Formula One. You've driven many fast things. But what was that initial sensation like? I was an animal. It was <laughs> was very very brutal uh, at the beginning. I thought, wow, it's in- impressive. And um, at the time, everything had to um, we had to to set up uh, power steering. Uh, 
something that we had to set up at the beginning, but uh, the power was amazing and uh, the low power and the th it was not revving at all. I mean, the, the engine uh, was power since the low, very low revs and power all the way through. And then we had to change because uh, the power was, was fantastic. I mean, driving a diesel when I using to used to drive a, a normal engine that uh, revs much more. That engine with low revs and the power had was really strange at the beginning. But then we got used to it. Yeah, to the point that you had to uh, they, they blew every gearbox there was, they blew every uh, bevel gears there was, they, and, and even pretty late in the program there were safety on the on the torque delivery and it was it was completely backwards to everything else we knew right i mean it, you were going in an uncharted territories where power you were getting more power as you were upshifting that's that's you know you were getting a kick every time you'd upshift and and yeah they had to reduce the torque to try and not break traction to try and not blow up gearboxes components transmissions everything Pedro, how long how long did it take until it was Like fully functioning and you know reliable car. Oh, when, and, and, and when you arrived. <laughs> <laughs> when you arrived, I mean, I didn't want to take all of the credit, guys. But you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I never had any of these issues. <laughs> no, it took a couple of years. Like the power steering was probably the last thing that got figured out once we went to the uh, hydraulic um, power steering because the electric was just binding up and it was. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, you don't know about that. No. Oh, for two years you could not counter steer in the 908. That was pretty awesome. What? Yes. Yes, there were some very lonely moments at the wheel of the car when when the steering would go dead solid at whatever angle of counter steer you were at, and yeah. that was that. So how do you manage? Is that just throttle then, even though you've what you're... Don't look at me. I, I, it was like <laughs> I say, it was perfect. Great experience. I we had, I mean, spa. And, um, and, I mean, in it's a, usually, it's in, normal in Radion, in Radion yeah. to have that... Um, that problem in any car i mean yeah uh, more or less most of more or less but with peugeot we had a huge problem because the car had all the grip to do it flat easy <laughs> i mean not easy we had to uh, go for it but sometimes the, um, the the policing was locking and the car was going where he wanted because there's no power to control the car it was incredible yeah. there was a lot of caster and it was obviously you know a lot of downforce on the car and, and yeah it was completely saturating the the whole power steering system so is there like a lever to drain the bottom of your seat because i, I mean <laughs> my body would be just letting everything out in those moments. no it was it was tough like it, it was it just made the car very difficult to set up because you 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 kind of had to keep the thing somewhat on the understeery side because when you can't kind of steer and the car gets free on you then then it becomes a big issue so yeah it was it was interesting but uh, i mean it I think we all have some pretty awesome memories from from that program, that car. I mean, I, I remember, like, I'm sure you do too, like, the, when the first times we fired up at Paul Ricard, I think Gerard Neuve was chasing us, like, probably 10 miles out of the racetrack because he was furious with us because basically the smoke invaded. Like, we, we didn't know how much the thing was going to smoke, but it, it, it was a cold morning at Paul Ricard and you know, November or whatever, and then sure enough, you know, the, the, the mapping of the engine when it was cold and, and firing up and warming up was not 
dialed in and so it wasn't a great advert for diesel technology oh my god are you kidding me i mean it's like a it's like a a, a white cloud that invaded the garage like very rapidly and has uh, the bird and insect population come back yet uh, maybe we've we've lost a couple of years of life because it was pretty exotic fuel as well so it wasn't anything like diesel wise that was like off the shelf but basically it completely filled the entire space then it worked its way in the engineering offices Through the corridor and the hall, the always, and through the offices, because it, you know, obviously they have all the ventilation and the AC units. I mean, and all of this is carpet for the ones who know Pro Record. And honest to God, two years later, you could still smell. <laughs> <laughs> like if you knew the distinct taste and smell of it, you could, you could definitely say, oh yes, oh yes, it's still there. And despite the very best effort to, uh, to clean and erase the smell, so it was. Uh, it was a performance. I think we, we still hold the world record over there for yeah, that. Yeah, but uh, right the first year we finished uh, Le Mans. I mean, yeah, which, seven, which was to our surprise because so the car had never completed a 24-hour simulation whatsoever. Like, not even close. Like, to be honest with you, I mean, we showed up at Le Mans, all six of us, and we're like, so, what's your pl- prediction? Like, how long do you think we're going to go? And what like, time's your flight home tonight? I don't know. So they, so they did go, like, all out in qualifying and stuff, put the car on pole, and, you know, through a great effort at night, at the last minutes, I think, of, of the qualifying, if I remember well. And then, you know, at the drop of the flag, the, the Audi is just, like, dropped us because, like, clearly the engineers, you know, and the engine guys are just detuned the thing, like, properly so we're not really a factor in the race but i guess you know, the whole thinking was like maybe we can dial it down enough that we're going to see through the most of the race and uh, and yeah i mean one had an engine issue we had a lot of uh, uprights and wheel bearing issues especially stefan had a lot of them because he was he was the way he was braking and, and trail braking and stuff he was overeating them more than than we were some of us but uh yeah, it was once we got to the end, and then the rain came. I mean, and it was just that torrential rain, and um, yeah, it it was ugly, ugly, ugly. And I think at some point, I was in the car, and it, I, I think I can remember Serge in my ears just being like, "Are you sure it's safe to drive like at the pace you're at, Seb?" And I was like, "Well, what's?" not safe to do at all is driving right now because it was like you might as well have taken a boat out i mean and nobody wanted to take over because i knew this place obviously very well and we had like those extra cut tires that we had planned in in the practice and i mean it was it was basically not drivable you were in third fourth gear maximum in the Le Mans straight and that's all you could do and even that was like over the top and and sure enough I think you remember probably like me parking the car the last chicane because the engineer was screaming because you were crawling basically and there was no blanking or anything like that so the engine temp was just going like super super low and so I parked the car because they were like, "Well, you, we need we need you to get the temperatures up." Well, if I if I kept driving, I couldn't get the temperatures up, so I just parked the thing right before the start finish lane, and then came the Bordet rule. Because then they stop that, they, they force you to do the last lap of the race at a certain pace, which unfortunately a couple of years back uh, fired back, unfortunately, to my friend Anthony there. Oh, don't talk to me about last Yeah, time. I know. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> but, I thought you liked me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of how the rule came about because there were a couple of competitors, including the, the Pescarolo team, that was extremely upset that I had parked the car. And, and actually, it was a really good thing because the engine was cracked through and through. 
and there was a bolt missing on the suspension so god knows what would have happened and i tried yeah, to make no. another lap so uh yeah so with all of that you only know you know afterwards and and i you know and i just put it back in first gear and and crossed the finish line and here we were third on the podium with uh everything i'm hearing tells me Ant second, timing was yeah, impeccable. second, not third. Yeah, uh, no, I, never, the, I never knew this stuff. <laughs> no, no, you missed, you no, missed no, a I'm lot of the, a lot. You missed a lot of the early days. Well, though, I sent you sure. that photo not too long ago, Seb. I found from 07 of you getting out of the car on the front straight and waving to the crowd, and you'd said, "Boy, you talk about working hard to earn uh, a finishing position." There, that was there. just like it was like winning for us. Like I said, I mean, we didn't think we'd finish. So finish second? Are you kidding me? I mean, it was like. Not many, people, like dream. not many people realize just how tough it is for a race team and for the drivers as well to go through you know, an early development of a brand new concept. I mean, it's, yeah. they'd never built that car before. Um, they are, you know, they're, they're called prototypes for a reason. And to go there, you know, to an epic race like Le Mans and try and finish the thing, 24 hours of racing is uh, it's no mean feat. And yeah, if from those stories now I've never heard I wasn't joking and uh, those early tests you say the garage filling up with smoke and the whole track is people can't realize when they see the car running faultlessly out on circuit after years of development they, they cannot believe how difficult it is to get over all those teething troubles in the in the early days so Seb one of the first items our pal Simon Pagino who again will hopefully be here in a little bit uh, I asked him to share some thoughts, maybe some bullet points that might be fun for conversation. His very first one, ask about team building in Chamonix. And I know, again, he started busting up when he saw that, and I assume Simon's going to have some great stories. But what, uh, what comes to mind here? I don't know if it's R-rated, X-rated. I'm, it's a blind question, but... I guess it doesn't really matter. The time has passed enough that it doesn't you. really matter anymore. But, yeah, there was some heavy... Uh, Montaigne alcohol it's drinks not, involved. Not the time when Frank broke his leg, was it? Was uh, there was there was that. Was that the team building before? Yeah, I think it was the year before. I think it was the year before. Yes, where he broke his ankle was and that drove the, uh, like was that. Was that the cycling incident? And drove like that at no, no, Le Mans. This was, uh, the wink, yeah, this wink. Is, no, no, no. you know, yeah, you know, you know, Frank has like you know his his feet were jammed in ninety six yeah in former Renault, and and obviously his ankles are bone on bone solid, and and so he. You know, he can still do a lot of things, but sure enough, we're playing soccer and, and he put the foot over the ball and tripped somehow. And because everything's locked in, it broke the fibula top and bottom. So, yeah, and he drove like that at Le Mans. So, imagine. And it's he was. A good training camp. And, and that another story, which is all to his credit, is because it was hurting so bad, he would switch and break a little bit left foot, a little bit right foot, wow. a little bit left foot, a little bit right foot. And I don't know how you don't mess that up because it is an absolute mind F. I just thought it's because he was bipolar. Just, I no, didn't realize. No. Okay. And, and that year he drove pretty awesome, especially given that injury. So, so yeah, that was version one of the team building or the building at uh, Chamonix. <laughs> and, then, and then the next year we, uh, we ended up hiking to a refuge where there was a, a very interesting evening, including some Genepi, which for the ones who know is, uh, is one of, you know, like a very well-known French liquor uh, made in the Alps, and uh, and and it is no joke. It's like you know, fifty percent or something, and it's from a flower, but a flower that can bite you pretty <laughs> well. And uh, and uh, yeah, so I think of 
Did you stay? I wasn't there. Like, you were not there no. still? Jesus Christ, you yeah, missed it all. I missed all this time. But I you were just there. go, guys. This is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Pedro I, I, was there. Yeah, I was there. Uh, I think you, you missed the first one, no? Or did you come to the I, first no, one I was without there, but then uh, I had to leave at some point. Yeah. And, and when uh, I broke my, uh, I, I broke my um, Achilles tendon. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yes, I Just remember that. Oh no! I mean, it was yeah, like playing, it was a disaster. Uh, that that thing squash, was cursed. I mean. It was <laughs> cursed. <laughs> you, are, you are very competitive, all the time competitive. So we had to fight to to win any single second. Yeah, because it was. It must have been 2008 the first time, and I wasn't in, in the team in 2008. It was 07, just before the first race. I mean, it was January of. You did 07. I sure. did a seven, but I, I think... You come just for Lamar. Maybe you didn't make the... Yeah, maybe. The I, mean, I was in the America first one. at that point anyway. And so. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. they need to hire four or five extra drivers. Make sure they all go to Chamonix because you don't know how many you're going to Oh, are you kidding afterwards. me? There was Jean-Carl Vernet. He almost died in a mountain bike <laughs> incident. Who was the reserve driver? So, yeah, no, the, you know, just getting race car drivers together... Well, and I, I fractured a rib as well when I finally did make it to a Peugeot training camp. Fractured a rib playing rugby. With you. It was you. You barged, you remember? You barged into me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Like, oh, good. Yeah, now I'll come to that. <laughs> well, it yeah. wasn't really rugby. I don't know what we were playing, but we had an oval shape. It was on the rugby field with a rugby <laughs> ball, yeah, but, but it turned we into something <laughs> different. And then <laughs> I managed to break a, a windscreen because I, you remember, we were trying to pop those things in the, in the goals, and I completely overdid it and went over the fence and then there were all those cars parked at Toulouse of the staff and the thing just bounced and hit the windscreen and shattered it. Uh, yeah, it this was, sounds like a Motley Crue The thing is, It sounds like we could make a movie. Like yeah, honestly. Like we the could thing have is made a movie. Every race that. weekend, when you get, you know, get six guys together, every race weekend is like team building anyway. We have such a laugh in sports cars. It's so different from single-seater racing, you know, where you're really against your teammate. You get six guys together. Even if you're competitive and you want to beat each other on the track, there are moments through the whole weekend where you have really good belly laughs. Mm. And uh, you don't need to do team building or training camps. You know, you're all fit anyway. But the team, yeah, yeah, the team feel like they need to they, they take that responsibility to do it. Pedro, I like the, the mindset here. We're all fit. I know it's training. But since we're all fit... F ourselves up as much as possible. Oh, you know? we were not we- trying to, but it just turned into <laughs> demolition. And then, so that we did that hike to the refuge. We drink some, have dinner, and then, and then the night goes on for the ones who want to stay. And then I don't know what happened between Simon, Frank, Jean Cal, and maybe a couple others. But we're supposed to hike all the way up, like the mountain, at, you know, the next day. So. A few of us sensibly just went to bed or tried to go to bed because we were we we, we were yeah, we're sleeping in basically a barn and so you you see those you know beams and like no electricity beams low hanging ceilings and you're sleeping up top okay so we we tried to go to bed because like okay you know we're gonna have to wake up at five thirty and start hiking and it's already pretty close to midnight so it sounds like. It's probably going to be hard enough as it is. So we go to bed, and then those guys are just getting just hammered, wasted, out of their brains, laughing like crazy. I'm, you know, we can't sleep, but we're having a good laugh in there and thinking like, oh, boy, it's going to hurt so bad tomorrow. And then sure enough, you know, after a couple of hours, they're just absolutely destroyed, and they work their way back in the barn in the refuge from the restaurant kind of building. And as they're trying to walk in there, one guy, and I can't even remember if it was who it was, but some you hear tuk 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 
Boom! Here goes the beam, and then. And so instead of going up there and sleeping up there, they dragged the mattresses and like slept the three of them. I think it was Simon Frank and Jean Carl at the bottom. World famous professional oh, sports yeah, yeah. car. Oh yeah, and there was nobody professional, famous or anything at that point. And then so they, they they sleep there, and sure enough, you know when it's time to wake up, they're still wasted first of all, and second, like really tired. So you know one proceeds to wake Frank with a bucket of ice water. <laughs> And and that didn't go very well because I think he almost suffocated because <laughs> he was still not quite capable of self breathing I think at that point and uh, so yeah it it was it was something else and I I can remember following Jean Carl and you could smell the Genepi flavor in his trail oh, like he was sweating it. Did you all make it, it up all to the top? Yeah 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 we all made it. Stay, no. stay fit. Proper race car drivers. Yeah, competitive. So, Ant, tell me about your coming into this program, because, again, obviously, you know, there, there's a little bit of, of history before you had gotten there. I mean, A little bit. Man, well, sounds like I, I missed out on everything. It sounds like survival was, was pretty serious here, but what was it like for you coming in? I mean, your career was, was you know, soaring at the time. This seemed like something pretty darn cool. Yeah, well, I came to Peugeot after the, uh, the F1 dream was kind of over with the Super Guri team. And, um, yeah, I remember the first time I'd driven the car was in the November of the 2008 season. Um, and what a beast. I remember just thinking, wow, this is... I'm really pleased to find out that there's a whole other world of, of, of like a category of motorsport which is so, so close to F1. Um, because on your way up to F1, you're so blinkered, you know. That's all you can see. It's all you want to do. Single-seater, single-seater. It's all you've got your, your mind set on. So... When I first got the chance to drive the Peugeot, I was so like relieved and pleased, and it was, I just thought, "This is mega! This is exactly what I want to be doing." And I uh, loved every lap I did at Paul Ricard. And 2008 was still the big engine. Is the big, big engine? Big yeah. Um, and what was that like? I mean, you're coming out of F1. I mean, what are you revving at that point? An F1 thousand or some yes. crazy number? I think peak power is at seventeen thousand or something. We were back in the days when you were revving up to nineteen thousand. And now yeah. you've got what six, five and a half, five? I, like I, four, wasn't it? I, I think. That, I think. That, yeah, it didn't really have a rev limiter as such because it just the, the thing just yeah, we just had the lights to change on. You could over rev it, but it, the thing just sort of ran like any diesel just sort of runs out of puff, doesn't it? Um, so we were changing around about the 4,000 mark, 3,500 to 4,000 mark. And the coolest thing about the Peugeot, I'll tell everyone that that car had uh, 1,250 newton metres of torque at 3,000 RPM, <laughs> which really made an F1 car kind of a bit sucky back then because they had something crazy like 400 newton metres of torque yeah. at 17,000 RPM. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a real beast to drive, very quick, lots of downforce, um, and I loved it, and I just that's all I wanted to do. And it didn't work out in 2008 going into the 2009 season because uh, Serge Solnier was just sorting out my contract, and uh, and he got replaced by um, Olivier Canel. And Olivier Canel wanted David Brabham, um, and not me in the team back then. Um, he thought that he, you know they needed the experience, and in a way he was right. He went on to win Le Mans um, that that next year in the 2009 season. Um, so I had to wait my turn until 2010, um, but I had thought that the chance was over after that uh, after that test and that period where, I mean, it's so frustrating for a driver. I had the draft contract there sent from Sir mm. Sonia, had it in my hands. I'd, yeah, I agreed it, and then it all went cold. Like the, ooh, ooh, you wouldn't get, answer my calls, and I was thinking, what the hell's going on? What have I done wrong? 
and um, I didn't realise that at the uh, political level he was getting booted out, getting replaced. Brutal. Really brutal. But um, finally got my chance in 2010. And um, yeah, this was my first race, Sebring. This was my first race with the team, which we, unfortunately for Seb, that that car and my car crew, we went on to, to win. So first time out in the car, beginner's luck. <laughs> Seb, we were hearing you tell us earlier a little bit, regaling us, talking about your currently... Well, you weren't saying this because you don't have that kind of ego, but uh, we were mentioning you are still the lap record holder here at Sebring. Don't know if the Toyota... For a few more hours. Yeah, we'll see what the Toyotas happen to do here uh, with... with. And keep in mind, this is an adult conversation, so you don't have to, to mind your words, but could you share some of that conversation of what it was like going out? What ended up being the ultimate lap record was re really never something you were trying to do. You said you were fighting to... Yeah, ac actually, to Anthony, you did the preseason testing here, so you would know, but I think it was in the 41s that we, we actually were running, like, full tilt, uh, low fuel. Was that at 2010, yeah? Yeah, yeah it must have nine, been. 9, 10. They, the cars got a bit slower yeah. in yeah, 2011. Yeah, it got slower in nine, and then it recovered some in ten, and then we went to the V8 in eleven. But yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I do remember um, that test. We came here with yeah. ballast on the car and everything, just to try and slow the. They, I mean, they they trust the drivers to a certain degree, but um, just in case we wanted to try and go a bit too fast, we, uh, and that's the thing, ballast on the car. Like when you have six drivers, you know, two cars to try and, and control the performance is actually no joke. It's hard because everybody drives different super easy to like show one sector here one sector there one sector there and then you put it all together on the theoretical and then you show the true potential of the car and now you really look stupid so uh, yeah in qualifying there was a heartache it was 45-0 and nobody wanted to qualify therefore because all you could do was look like an idiot and uh, nobody likes to look like an idiot so uh, yeah I, I had the honor of being the idiot in 2009 I think and uh, and hated every second of it especially when Serge came on the radio and in the back straight on lap two after doing a slow lap one in 45 two or three I think and then uh, and then I was on course for a low 42 and uh, and after three corners I heard pit now pit now and that was that so <laughs> oh. and that I think is it's a brilliant window into the potential so I think after that Pedro had the honor of qualifying the car next year wow oh poor guy but what was that like though knowing that there's one thing about ultimate pace, and there's also the bigger picture of maybe not wanting to show your hand too much for fear of some equivalence of technology-type uh, manipulation. It's just amazing to think that while we don't have many of them now, that we did have many of these vehicles then that were just otherworldly. You had to actually attempt to tame them as not to expose your full capabilities. The car was uh, was fantastic. Was um, you if you look technology at the time? I mean, at the, the, the time the car was poor, uh, poor power, and uh, it was amazed. We were always amazed uh, how to to just control uh, our speed and not to show too much. Otherwise, you would be uh, we would burn all. Our homework, not our, the the team, the Peugeot people, that they did a great car, and and uh, that um, I was involved in the, in that project. That for me was the biggest project I had in my career. I passed through uh, F1, or I was uh, driving for Mercedes or some other manufacturers, but uh, with Peugeot was the biggest project I have been, and uh, and uh, with the highest technology at the time. Um, 
today, uh, I mean, the, um, all this uh, transition maybe to electrics or not, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but looks like, and uh, hybrid and everything, it was just the beginning. I mean, it was diesel, uh, but then uh, the things changed a little bit and now it's uh, more hybrid and maybe future electric. I don't, I don't know. Uh, we will see. The thing that I, I know that I love most about this era, whether it was the Audis or the Peugeots, it just makes, it makes me happy. It brings me to a happy place thinking of dragsters, right? All, there's a class called all motor, right? It's just, and that's all it is. It's just pure cubic inch decimating the world. Yeah, but just hybrid not nothing. Yeah. This is just what I think of in this LMP1 era. Now, granted, with the full hybrids that came on, I mean, again, I know it took things to a whole different level uh, through s- small displacement plus big electric power. There's just, to me, a beauty and a purity of a big honking twin turbo diesel v12 i know obviously went to the v8 with the second generation but still just this madness of mechanical i don't know death their answer to everything was just basically bolt as much downforce on the car dirty downforce basically didn't care about the drag because the engine would just pull through it and uh, that was the whole philosophy of the car and uh you know and and to drive that was uh was pretty epic because you just have never had that kind of same torque uh, level from an engine ever again. It didn't matter which gear you were in. The thing just pulled through it. Um, so, you know, the, the, the machine was just, it was a bit more, it was old school. I mean, of course it was cutting edge at the time, but it was a basic car, really, um, apart from the engine. That was that was where most of the tech was, was, was implemented into the motor. Um, and it was just... It, it was just this ferocious 800-odd horsepower beast with all that torque, like I mentioned, that had these big straight wings on it, no real aerodynamic fancy gimmicks. sophistication or gimmicks, little flick-ups and turning veins, blah, blah, blah. It was just a wing, a massive <laughs> wing, and the Venturi <laughs> under the car. As big as the yeah. pulled on. And it just, the thing was just, the faster you went in it, the more downforce you got. It pulled through. I'll never forget, sitting on the straight, the Molsan straight, and it was just pulling in sixth gear. You were into sixth gear really early. Like Seb said, you know, you just raced through the gears, you pulled them early, you got more power as you went through the gears, and... And you just sit there singing along at 3,000 RPM, really low revs, and he's just pulling through all this massive drag that the thing must have had. I mean, if you compare it to the cars of today, so like the Toyota, it, it's, it's so unsophisticated, but... If I think I there were nine radiators on that car, if I remember well. Yeah? Yes. That's how many... Because that, that thing was making a lot of power, but obviously you had to cool it down. And, yeah, and it, yeah, and it was just dissip- you had to dissipate so much heat that uh, yeah, it was it was something ridiculous. And when when they were trying, like you could not have fitted that engine into a normal sports car because it would not have had anywhere near enough cooling capacity to run it. Period. It was funny. It's like you you take the engine cover, you see the engine cover off of the car, and the engine. If you looked from like the back of the monocoque. To where the the say like the rear axles were, it just went on and on and on and it's on. A, it was like a, it was it was like a, a boat engine. It was like you just like this. It's a V12. I mean that thing. I I think they saved something like a couple million dollars worth of 
injectors when we downsize from the V12 to the V8 because really? those things were that expensive from Bosch, and and yeah, it was it was like a massive saving just on the injectors from cutting four cylinders off of the thing. I remember that. Tell me about going to that twin turbo V8. Uh, like when we hear McNish talking about driving the Audi R10, he says it just feels like he had this huge backpack on his shoulders because there was all of this weight, you know, really creating a pendulum effect in the car. I don't know if the 908 was similar, but I'm... Yeah, I was going to say, actually, that it is, it is very heavy, obviously, a V12 diesel engine. It's going to be heavy, and uh, to get the thing to the weight um, allowance was... Uh, the, you know, to the weight tolerance was was a hard achievement. I think a big achievement for the team. But in the same way that batteries weigh a lot today, and you know, Toyota and, and Audi and Porsche were struggling to get their car to the weight limit as well. Um, so yeah, different technology, but the same uh, problems occurred. Um, and you had the weight distribution factor, yeah. so we had to have like a lot of weight in the kill because otherwise all the weight would have been on the rear axle and, and you would have never been able to activate any front tires. So there was like 70 kilos of ballast <laughs> in the keel of the car just to try and get something like and that's that made some kind of sense. Were, the front tires were actually quite narrow compared to the rear tires as well. Just anything you could do to try to stop that pendulum effect of, of that massive beast of an engine behind you. What was it like going to the V8? from the V12. I always imagined that, again, vehicular dynamics would improve. It's still a diesel. Diesels are never going to be light. So I'm just curious if the V8 itself, going to that V8, improved anything from a driving standpoint? No. We hated the the next generation of the 908. Really? Yeah, the only car we really want to talk about is the V12 908. The the, the V8 was was still good, and if it was the first car you ever jumped into um, as a sports car, you'd love it, of course. But it was a it was a downscaled version. It was like a, a 908 light, if you like, um, and it just it just wasn't the same. You didn't have the same power. The car was a bit more sophisticated aerodynamically, but it, it was just it was never the same car. You had oh the wheel dimensions changed as well, so you had much wider. Basically, you had the same width of wheel from front to rear, so it changed a bit the balance of the car and the feel, um, which we all just preferred the the, the stability um, of the of the original V12 908 over the, the V8 car. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, it's the, the V12 was fantastic. Um, if I if I have to say something, I believe Peugeot when arrived, it just um, uh, come with something really new against Audi. Audi was our main competitor, and they look past. They will look old and no, no upgraded. I mean, they were not strong enough for the technology Peugeot brought into the the competition. That's my feeling no, and it's my opinion. Uh, and and then uh, Audi had to catch back slowly, and then uh, they catch back. I mean, even in the eleven, they they killed us. I mean, they killed us because they came with completely with a new car, completely different. But they had to invest. In, uh, I think they had uh, different people making the car, and uh, they they were alone on the market, and and Peugeot come really strong into the the business, and they they, they did a great job. I have to, to especially say that. with the budget because it was a yeah. fraction of the Audi budget, and and like all of the money was like into the performance of the car and i think we we got bit a couple of times with like quality control and suppliers and this and that but ultimately i mean the performance of the car from the get-go seven eight nine ten 
was just superior. And then in 11, when Audi responded, it was, they responded big. And there was a, a bit of a conceptual issue uh, with, with the second version of the 908, because the 908, that 908 was meant to be running 46% of front COP and, and like, with those big front tires and the whole concept was running very little rear wing and sure enough we found our buddy Nick flying over the fence at Paul Ricard and everybody scaring themselves with the car the way it was meant to be because the concept was wrong uh, and, and at that Dine point as well was the yeah. same I mean, well Mark had the well, failure the puncture, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the failure but Nick just lost the car like he the thing that was snappy you so know, did you drive before Nick no and still uh, to this day we needed him at that test. Yeah, we needed yeah. old Moni Frenchman because we, there we, at the we, test. We, 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 need, really, we missed him. Yeah, we, we were really quiet. Yeah. And the, nobody wanted. The car yeah. was snappy there. Yeah. It was difficult yeah, to drive. Yeah, to drive yes. it. And, it, and I <laughs> knew I was thinking. going flat. And the only, two, the only two yeah. who would have said something was probably Alex and myself. And they weren't there. And, yeah. and we were not there, which maybe <laughs> was intended because they didn't want to hear the moaning and the bitching. I don't know, maybe. But I just want you to know I'm writing down Moni Frenchman. But yeah, I mean, it was it was like everybody was scared and Stefan was hanging on to it and driving. It. Of course he would. Stefan would just yeah. hang on to anything. Just you know, he, I remember just, him telling me, "You've just got to say to the car, I am the boss. I am the boss." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Just take the front arrow out of the thing." This just, thing is just, scary. Yeah. And there was no taking front wing off of it. There no. was the only way was to put rear wing into it, and it killed the concept because then the efficiency of the car became bad. And unfortunately, we almost killed Nick, who we found on the airport over the fence, flying backwards because he spun the thing at high speed when when the thing finally let go on him, and then uh, and then. Obviously oh, the, yeah, well, I the, thought when, when I, I went round. Were you in the car as well with me? Need, that, we need yeah. to hear about this one with Nick and his aerobatic experience. What happened? He probably can't remember it himself, but yeah, we, me and Pedro I wasn't there. there, but yeah, I heard so it. We jumped in the car. We, we heard it. That's the first thing. It, we, we were doing the circuit the for Ricard where you went you flat out, in inverted commas, around the, <laughs> around the left-right kink. And um, yeah, that's the place where we were all really struggling to hold on to the car. Um, because we didn't know at the time and neither did the team, but the correlation was wrong to the wind tunnel. We were 5% out oh. in our aero balance. 5%. Massive. So the Massive. car was a little twitchy. So every time we were saying to them, take some front wing out or you know, dial out the front of the car, just raise the, right, uh, the front right eye or anything you can do, they were saying, nope, it all matches the figures properly. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's set where it needs to it be. It it was really tough, one of the most pointy cars I've ever driven. But anyway, we, we heard it all go quiet as Nick thundered down the main straight in Paul Ricard. We heard this, the slide, we heard it go quiet, and we legged it to the car. The, the teammates, we just thought, wow, we know where he is, we know exactly what's happened. And we, basically we back around. at the hotel. <laughs> and we, we, we went round to the uh, perimeter road um, as quick as we could. The drivers were the first ones there. And um, we, we, we were looking for the car on the track. Where's the car? Where's the bloody car? And it's over the fence on the runway. No word of a lie. They had to close the airport. The car was over the fence and he was upside down or on its side. And he was, he was sitting there. He'd got out of the car and he was sitting there all disheveled and like, dazed. And it was unbelievable, honestly. I thought we were going there to, to witness a fatality. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's nothing left of the car. 
and Nick, he didn't know where he was, and it was it was really bad. And uh, yeah, poor Nick. I mean, it's it was going to happen to one of us at some point, basically. What was the conversation like about so correlation, friends? Well, they fixed it. The problem is, it came at the cost of the efficiency of the car and and the performance of the car at Le Mans. And unfortunately, because of it, like the model didn't work anymore. Like we were just far too draggy, and we got our butt handed to us. Like at Le Mans, that's the only place actually that car that the the, the concept was like the absolute best for Le Mans except we had to take down force off of the front and we could take nothing out of the rear and so the efficiency was just terrible for the Le Mans track and then you know we Audi did a far better job on that and, and they killed us and we lost for what 11, 12, 13 seconds yeah we were basically a, a second and a bit too slow every lap weren't we and which kind of in Le Mans if you know with all the safety cars and stuff you can kind of keep within the fight but any any more than that, and you 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 wave goodbye to the victory. But um, yeah, we tried, we drove our hearts out on that on that race. I still think it's you know one of personally my best races I ever put together at Le Mans. Um, but we just didn't have the equipment to do it. We have a whole list here of interesting stories, Seb, which you've helped curate. Which one should we pick from? And we'll, well just keep going. We've kind of picked a few already, so uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, I see Montagny's name here. Well, we need to wait for Simon on that, on okay. those, on most of those, because like it's it's got some kind of Simon-related stories. Uh, so we touch base on the Chamonix uh, thing. We touch base on Nick at Paul Ricard. Uh, I can't remember the Frank Montagny backstory in China. Do you guys remember that? No, I can't remember this. It just seems like there's always a Frank uh, story, though. Oh, yeah, Frank was always in the midst of things, like, for sure. Somehow he just... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'm also wondering if we, if we should let these two gentlemen go prepare to do to actually work. the job. Yes, because yes, uh, we're, we're wasting their time no. here. They actually get paid to do yeah. proper things. Here yeah, I'm, I'm on circuit, vacation but, today, but well, you came here just for me, though. I feel so special. Yes, oh, you, should. So you should. You <laughs> should. But anyways, yeah, just uh, no. They were great times. Really, really great times. I could sit here all night and talk about it, but yeah, unfortunately, I've got to get in a race car now. Well, it's great yeah. to see you, mate. Yeah, and you. Pedro, I want you to know that when, I don't remember if it was me and Seb or me and Simon, where we just first started talking about this idea of, hey, we should sit down and talk about 908. And you were on my list immediately because you're crazy and I was going to have you no matter what. But I was asking our, you know, Seb and Simon, well, who else? Both of them said, Pedro, period. We're not doing this without him. So just know the uh, love and respect that you have here to be here. Thank you, thank you very much. I mean, we had a good time in Peugeot um, with um, with Seb and uh, Simon was fantastic because we raced together in the same car. The atmosphere in the team with Anthony, we had very good relationship with all of everybody. But when you are in the same car and you have uh, a good connection uh, and you become like a family, <laughs> and uh, we did well. Uh, through the the years and f- was fantastic for me but uh, I would like to, to drive one with Anthony but we never had the opportunity no, we never did, <laughs> never, did they we? never did, we did actually lots of testing together, yeah testing but, together uh, but nothing race, in the yeah. same the same car but uh, if Can I you if I look that in your contract you never wanted to be in the car yeah shut I think up, I think shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes he had something against me I don't know why <laughs> But uh, <laughs> no joke. Well, we, we we had the relationship in, inside the team was great. Everybody, but of course we want our car to win. We are very competitive ourselves to be fast and on top, our car to win. Um, but I would like to to have um, your opinion. I don't know. And on 
I, I know that Audi come come back in uh, in ten to with a strong car, and uh, but until then Peugeot could win. Uh, ten is still yeah. Peugeot was the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean eleven yeah, as well. I mean 11. that's we, when it flipped. Like oh, we, oh, performance wise, like the Peugeot was. Oh nine was, was the only time Peugeot won Le Mans. But should win much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2008, 2009, 2008, 2010. 2010. Yeah. I mean, we had the, the, the fastest we were our car. our own worst enemy, I guess. I as mean, as the, the team just in search of more and better and just. Yeah, but it takes such a long time, doesn't it? Audi had been there before, you know. You, you, yeah. you, they, they had built their they had built their foundation, and they were yeah. extremely good at just not stepping over the boundaries that would be reliability he's right Absolutely. compromised they, like, they, it's like they knew the speed they could run and no matter what the pace was they just stuck to that that their own pace and their own procedures and protocol and they just yeah i was telling marshall the 2010 story where in the install lap i remember distinctly getting in the car doing the recon and and getting in the most unstraight getting off tartarouge in still in in the kind of practice map and going through the gears and g- watching the speed going two, three by threes and still two by twos and breaking early because it was an install app and it was 338 or 341 or something ridiculous like this and we were not not even trying anything and, and I came in the pits and I'm like guys what what have you done to the engine And, yeah, they had gone to the dyno and after all the durability testing and found probably something close to 20 horsepower or something like that. And we all looked at each other and being like, oh, my God. And uh, and inside, I was just like, oh, my titanium Conrad stories. And I was like, oh, my God, I sure hope that. It's not gonna backfire, and every single we did one. We more than that, mate. <laughs> every said, single one. You said all one the of old them. heads, though, all the old guys. Yeah, all the, the old guys like, were like, do "Don't do it, don't do it," because if you have a fail, if you are on the edge, you'll never know until they blow. And sure enough, just that 20 horsepower tipped the whole thing over the edge and blew every single engine. And to this day, I mean, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, unfortunately, with Pedro, we didn't break the engine because we didn't have the time. The chassis delaminated, but yes. uh, at the first hour, but. But every other car we watched go into uh, flames, and and it was just uh, at least the, the pain most, was over early for you guys. Yes. Yeah, you, it was the you, most you heartbreaking. Was it was inevitable. Even the Orica car. Yeah. Had the same I was thing on happen, pole, so, and, yeah, and it was going to happen to you. Pedro just was driving good race, and then you guys blew up, and, and Frank blew up, and then the the, the Orica car blew up. And that was probably, I think, if you ask. Uh, uh, Monsieur Kennel is uh, is uh, is hardest life and sports experience ever it would probably by far be that one i've never seen anybody that devastated no, it was desperate wasn't it it was it was horrible to be part of the team that 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 day yeah the two distinct worst times at the mom was obviously the toyota story in the 2016 but that that's a very close second 2010 i mean we should have won wiped the floor with the competition by miles should have had four cars basically Lucky finished enough. first first second third and fourth easy 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 we were we were about three seconds a lap quicker than the Audi. It was, it was like no competition. I was walking down just past Tet Rouge, walk, going to shoot wherever I don't know. Just walking along, and behind me I hear <laughs> crowds, and I'm thinking, I don't know what could have just happened. And I turn around and just see smoke and fire, and I'm thinking, oh my god. And then again, and yeah, but to your point, it just truly 
one of the most demonstrative, we own this place. This is, and I'll readily say this, I have many friends at Audi, the original R10, a phenomenal car and all that. The 908, the original generation 908, greatest prototype of its generation. In terms of potential, I mean, again, might not have all the Le Mans wins that it deserved, but just in terms of fearsome vehicles, I've seen Toyota Eagle Mark III's and all the greatest GTP cars. I put that 908 right there. Thanks, Anthony. It's a holy crap thing. So uh, thanks for spending some time, guys. No, it's yep. been brilliant. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, and hope uh, the people listening in uh, really enjoy it as much and as we have. Last thing, where the hell's Pagano? He told us he'd be here at 7, he's yeah. still not here. No. But trust him. No. Well, we got Can't. one Moni French. Can't trust the Simon. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks again to this crazy trio for making some time. Look forward to getting part two done here at some point in time in the future with Pagano and Bourdais. And if this is your first time listening, you might check out MarshallPruittPodcast.com. Almost a thousand episodes waiting for your perusal, plus a nice little subscribe page where everything from Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and so on sitting there waiting for you to hopefully sign up and get all that we produce the moment it is fresh and hot and ready. Thanks once again to our pals at Aston Martin for making Pedro available. Dragon speed there with Ant. And Seb just came down a little bit early, but thanks again to him and the former Ford Chip Ganassi racing team for letting our boy come in and sit down. And we'll close by saying thank you to you for listening and also our patrons that being the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tires, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA.